0: So today, as mentioned, we are continuing with this second season of Dangerous Prayers. This, the first season was all about Search Me. And if you would like, you can go back to our website, cornerstonenh.org slash media. And you'll be able to watch and listen to all the previous ones and catch up. And now we are in season two, which is focused on break me. And the reason that we are talking through this dangerous prayer is that pain is often the path where you want and need to be pain. Although we wouldn't pursue it. We're not necessarily happy about it, but often God will use painful and unpleasant circumstances in our life to get us where we want and need to be. And today we are talking about another dangerous prayer, kind of a subset of this idea of the breaking process is convict me, convict me what we're talking about is living a life of integrity because if we are going to line up what we believe with uh, what we do, then we have to have a life of integrity. We have to recognize when we get off course and that's what this prayer will help us to do. It will allow us to recognize when we are off course and we're praying and asking God for that course correction. And the reason that we want to do that is that part of the place that we want to be is a life of integrity. We want to be living a life of integrity. Most people, and maybe you uh, fell into this category, maybe you're in this category now, uh, you're you are turned off to church because there's so much hypocrisy. There's a difference between what people say and what they do and so what we really want to be is we want to be in a place of integrity we want to be representing Christ well and so it's that conviction that we're praying for that leads to integrity conviction leads to integrity and that's our bottom line for today so at the end I'm going to be challenging you to pray this simple two-word prayer convict me convict me because it's conviction that leads to integrity. So let's once again revisit what we're talking about when we're talking about breaking. If you're gonna pray, pray this prayer of break me and convict me, then we wanna know what we're talking about and why we would do such a thing. Uh, and we define breaking as the pattern of humbling through failure, loss, sorrow, or humiliation. Again, it's a pattern. It is one of the things that God does over and over again with his people. We see it in the scriptures, we see it in people's lives. And the primary thing that happens is that we get humbled in the process. The breaking process is a process of humbling and it can happen through failure, loss, sorrow, or humiliation, and that is a painful and unpleasant at the time. It's painful and it's unpleasant at the time, however, but results in greater wholeness, healthier character and greater effectiveness in the long run. So why are we willing to go through this pain and this difficulty, something that's unpleasant, something that we really wouldn't choose for ourselves. It's because in the end, it results in something good. And so we pray this prayer, we pray break me And we pray, convict me, because we know that in the end, it's going to have good result. And this uh, process of praying for conviction is focusing in on this aspect, that breaking is the pattern of humbling through failure. And if you were watching last week, we saw an example of that in the Apostle Peter's life. He, at the Last Supper, may uh, proclaim that he was gonna follow Jesus to the death and that even if anyone, everyone else denied him, he would never do so. And then Jesus of course tells him that before the night is out and the morning begins that he will deny Jesus three times. And that's of course what happened. And so through this process of experiencing humiliating failure, he learned something about himself, and then we saw how God, how Jesus restored him and recommissioned him at the end. So, when we're praying for conviction, what we're actually praying for is a recognition of our failures, not that we would fail, but a recognition of where we are failing. Now, why would it be necessary for us to pray a prayer like that, to convict me, to show me where I'm off track, show me where I'm failing, not living up to my own standards or God's standards? Why do we need that? Because sometimes we're just really good deceiving ourselves and really good at excusing ourselves in the first season of dangerous prayers we looked at Jeremiah 17 9 and we'll look at it again it says that the human heart is most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked we just are really good at deceiving ourselves and justifying ourselves it's very easy we're really good at seeing where other people are failing and off track but we tend to be blind to and excuse where we are off track so we need to pray this prayer convict me so that we begin to recognize those places and then the second part of this verse says who really knows how bad it is Prophet Jeremiah is asking a rhetorical question, but we know the answer, and that is it's God. It's God that sees our heart. It's God that knows us inside and out. And so we need to pray this prayer, convict me, so that he can share what he sees in us, in our lives, in our hearts, with us, so that he can help us to restore us and get us back on track. So we need that because we deceive ourselves and we need to pray to the Lord for insight and revelation about where we're off track because he's the one who sees clearly and knows us better than we know ourselves. And then that conviction can lead to correction which leads to integrity. So we pray, convict me. Now this series was suggested by the book by the same name, Dangerous Prayers by Craig Groschel. And so if you haven't picked this up already, I would encourage you to do so because it'll allow you to go deeper on the content of what we're talking about and also as we've mentioned each time the profits of the book are going towards Bible translation efforts, so you can feel good about that. And today, we're going to be looking in the Bible, in the scriptures, at this passage. It's James chapter two, verses one to 17. And here we will see an example of someone who is going off track and how conviction is talked about by the Apostle James, who was Jesus' half-brother, a leader in the church at Jerusalem in the early church. And he's writing this letter as a pastoral sermon letter to Uh, the people who are followers of Jesus. So let's look at it together. This is James chapter 2, verses 1 through 17. And we'll get started at verse 1. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation, if you'd like to follow along. It says, My dear brothers and sisters, remember, he's writing to believers. He's writing to followers of Jesus. How can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, If you favor some people over others. For example, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry and another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person but you say to the poor one, you can stand over there or else sit on the floor. Well, Doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? Listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? And aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you dishonor the poor. Isn't it the rich who oppress you and drag you into court? Aren't they the ones who slander Jesus Christ, whose noble name you bear? And let's pause there. That's the end of verse 7 and talk about this first section. In this first section, we see the Apostle James talking about the difference between what they say they believe and what they're actually doing. And he's hoping to develop Conviction in them, for them to see where they're off track. Conviction shows us where our walk and talk are out of sync, where what we say we believe and what we might actually believe are out of sync with what we are doing. And he starts out by saying, Dear brothers and sisters, how can you do this if you do this? How can you if you? How can you, if you, it's showing the hypocrisy, the the out of sync, out of phase aspect of their behavior. He says, how can you have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, if you, and just pause right there for a second, because the next part is a specific example, but this is kind of the overarching theme is there needs to be integrity between what we say and what we do. And so if we claim to have faith, if we claim to be following Jesus, if we claim to be his disciples, how can we do this if we're doing something that is contrary to what a follower of Jesus should be doing. So he goes on to say and give a specific example. How can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? And then he defines what he's talking about in that next verse. Doesn't this discrimination, this judging, show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? So we're talking about in this particular case something that is out of sync with what it means to be a follower of Jesus and in this case he's talking about showing discrimination and in particular discriminating treating people differently based on their appearance or and in this case their appearance of wealth or poverty they are making judgments based on External factors, what they see, judging a book by its cover. And then hold on to this thought, because we'll come back to this. Aren't your judgments guided by evil evil motives? Evil motives. Then, In other words, there's some self-interest. There's something motivating the way that the people are acting. And so then he goes on to a contrast that kind of sums up what uh, this whole idea of conviction, why it's needed and why hypocrisy is so repulsive and why integrity is so needed. In the next two verses, there are these two key phrases, hasn't God, but you hasn't God but you? In other words, this is the way God treats people. This is the way God looks at the situation, but you, you're, you're not in sync with his view. You're out of sync with what you should be doing and what God does. Hasn't God but you? Let's look at it specifically. Verse 5, hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? He's dealing with people who are showing favoritism, showing favor to those who are rich over those who are poor. And then he shows how that's in complete contrast to the way God has acted. God has chosen the poor in this world, poor in the eyes of the world, to be rich in faith. And then he goes on to say, aren't they, talking about the poor, the ones who will inherit the kingdom of He promised to those who love him. In other words, God has shown favor. God has bestowed favor on these people and you are rejecting them and mistreating them in order to show favor over them to others. He's saying, but you dishonor the poor. Hasn't God honored the poor in these various ways? But you, you're not doing things the way God has done it. You're dishonoring the poor. And then he goes on and makes a very practical point as well. Remember, we talked about motives. Well, part of the motive for doing this is maybe they thought that they were going to get something, some benefit from favoring the rich over the poor, and he says, look, that doesn't even work. And he points to their experience. Isn't it the rich who oppress you and drag you into court? In other words, they're not doing you any favors. They're the ones that are oppressing you. They are the ones that are dragging you into court. And then he says, these aren't the kind of people that you should be associating with. Aren't they the ones who slander Jesus Christ, whose noble name you bear? Now, of course... Not every person who is rich is evil. Not every person who is rich falls into these categories. Not every person who is poor is virtuous and honorable. There are good and bad all up and down throughout the economic spectrum. But what he's pointing out here is that by showing Favoritism, by discriminating, they are out of sync with how God does things. He doesn't just select, choose, favor one particular group over another. And if we are going to be accurate representations of our Heavenly Father to the world, which is a part of our calling to accurately represent our heavenly father to the world, then we are going to avoid this kind of discrimination, this kind of judgment, this kind of favoritism. And however we split up and discriminate in our world, it's incompatible with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not what he did, it's not what he does, And it's not what his people do. And having made this point about discrimination, James goes on to talk a little bit more about some other ways that he wants to bring conviction to his congregation. He says, beginning at verse 8, Yes, indeed. It is good when you obey the royal law found as found in the scriptures. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you favor some people over others, you are committing a sin. You are guilty of breaking the law. For a person who keeps all of the laws except one is as guilty as the person who has broken all of God's laws. For the same God who said, you must not commit adultery also said, you must not commit murder. So if you murder someone, but do not commit adultery, you have still broken the law. So whatever you say or do, remember that you will be judged by the law that sets you free. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you." Now, in this segment, he's talking about being convicted again and starts out with this example of favoritism and then goes a little bit beyond that. And what he says, if I were to sum it up, is this, we can't excuse some sins because we don't commit some others. Why do we need to pray, convict me? Because our tendency is to look at all the things that we are doing right, that we have done right, and to ignore or shove to the side those things that are not in sync with God's character. So he says, yes, it's good when you obey the royal laws found in the scriptures. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's the royal law because it is the crowning law. It is the law of the king, Jesus, and that is to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, what he, like so many New Testament writers and apostles were referring to, goes back to Jesus' teaching in John chapter 13, verse 34, a new command I give you, love one another. And what's new about this command is not that they love one another. That was an old command, but it is the standard. As I have loved you, Jesus says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. What kind of love did Jesus demonstrate? He demonstrated other-centered, self-sacrificial love, he laid down his life literally, figuratively. In every way, he put others ahead of himself. And so he says, I want you to love one another, and I want you to follow my example and lay down your life, use your life, leverage your life to serve and benefit others. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And then he goes on in the next verse to say that this kind of self sacrificial, other centered love is the distinguishing characteristic of his followers. He says, by this, by this kind of selfless, sacrificial, other centered love, everyone will know. That you are my disciples if you love one another. And one of the best formulations to just think about this practically that I've run across is this question What does love require of me? So, in any situation, in any circumstance that you are facing, if you want to know what the right thing to do is, you think about well, what is the loving thing? What is the other centered? What is the selfless thing to do? What does love require of me? So back to James, he is affirming, reaffirming Jesus' royal command to love others as ourselves. And he says, but sometimes we get out of sync with that. He says, but if you favor some people over others, the example that he was just talking about, you're committing a sin. You're guilty of breaking the law for the person who keeps all of the laws except one is as guilty as a person who has broken all of God's laws. Now, when you first read that, maybe like me, there was a little bit of pushback. It's like, wait a second. There are some laws that are more important, or more uh, uh, There's some sins that are worse than others, right? So how can you say, you know, it's pretty much all, you know, if you break one, you break them all. Don't think about it in terms of the seriousness of the sin. You can almost think of it as a line not to cross. And so if there were this barrier, this line, and it was made up of the different commands and the Apostle James mentions too, don't murder, don't commit adultery. These are just little stepping stones along this line it doesn't matter where you cross the line, do not lie, do not murder, do not commit adultery, wh- wherever it is, when you cross that line, you're on the other side of the line. I think that's what he means by this idea. You're either innocent of, of breaking the law or you are a law breaker. You have either obeyed every command Or you have broken some command so he's not trying to draw a moral equivalence between different kinds of sins he's simply saying that we uh, can either be on one side or the other of the law and it doesn't matter where you cross that line once you have crossed it you are on the other side so uh, we need to pray that God will give us conviction because our tendency is to look at all the different spots along the line that we've never crossed, that we've stayed far away from and perhaps far back from. But he's in essence saying, look, it doesn't matter where you cross that line. Once you have crossed the line, you become a lawbreaker. And so we need that conviction to help us to recognize that although we might be doing good in some areas, there are other areas that need to be addressed because we are guilty of breaking the law, God's law. And then he goes on in the next segment to make this point, that saying something is not the same as doing something. Why do we need to pray that God will convict us because so often it's easy to fall into a trap of thinking if I know the right things, if I say the right things, I'm in the right. But over and over again throughout the book of James, we are reminded that it's not so much what we say or what we claim, it's what we do. So let's look at it beginning at verse 14. unless it produces good deeds it is dead and useless pretty strong words dead and useless so saying something is not the same thing as doing something it's no good he says what good is it it's it's purposeless it's it's not helpful dear brothers and sisters if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions We need to pray that God will give us conviction because saying something is not the same thing as doing something. And we want to be people of action. So we need convictions to show, we need conviction to show us where we are crossing the line. We need conviction to show us where what we're saying is not lining up with what we're doing. And we need to recognize that just simply saying the right things is not the same thing as doing the right things. Because we wanna be people of integrity. We want people to look at our lives and to not have any excuse for rejecting the message of Jesus. And so conviction leads to integrity. It's this is the place we want to be. And in order to get there we have to pray for and receive the conviction that god will give now i recognize because i'm in the same boat that it's not always fun or exciting to pray convict me because it would be much easier to just kind of forget about those little things that that we know we're kind of off track on or perhaps that we don't even realize, you know, if uh, ignorance is bliss, if I don't know about it, I don't have to deal with it. But that's not really where we wanna be, is it? It, it, we, We don't want to be a hypocritical reason why someone would reject faith. We wanna be people of integrity. We wanna be saying and doing the same things. We want to be living out our faith and so my challenge to myself my challenge to you is to simply pray this prayer convict me now so often what makes the prayers dangerous is that they're a little bit scary and what is it that makes them scary is that we don't know exactly where it's going to lead but remember in the first part of this series we said that uh, we want to recognize our fears because it's our fears that show us where we trust God, where we don't trust God. Our greatest fears show us where we trust God the least. And so, if there's some fear about praying this prayer, I can understand that. You you, you don't know what kind of conviction the Lord is going to bring in your life. But here's what I do know, and here's the confidence that you can have: is that whatever He brings up. He's going to bring it up because he loves you. He's a gentle and merciful heavenly father. And he wants to lead you in such a way that you can be in sync with him, that your heart will reflect his heart, that your words will be his words to your world. Your heart will reflect his heart. And so we need to be brought into sync. We need to recognize where we're off track. And when you pray this prayer, convict me. Yes, it might show you things that you're not excited about learning about yourself. But the only reason that he does that is because he wants to fix it and to make things better. It's that end result that we aim for. So if you're watching online, especially on the church online platform, I'm going to ask our chat host to bring up that box that has this challenge in it. And you'll see right beside that, there's a place to mark the heart. And this is your response time. Nobody sees who does this and who doesn't. It just is a tally of numbers that as people click this heart, it will add them up. But this is your way of responding. If you're watching on another platform, you can put an emoji of a heart or a thumbs up or just in some way, I'm challenging you to respond and say, Lord, I'm willing for you to convict me. I don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't want to be out of sync with you. I want my words and my life to align. And if that's you and you're willing to pray this prayer, convict me, I'm going to encourage you to mark that heart, add that heart, add the thumbs up, however you want to respond. you will know that's me. I want, to, I want to be included in that because I want to live a life of integrity and conviction is part of that path. And perhaps if you're new to church, new to this whole faith thing or not, maybe you've been around for a, a long time, but there's never, you're recognizing that there's a lot in your life that is out of sync. You know that there are many places on that line that you've crossed the line. And you're wondering perhaps, is there forgiveness? Is there restoration? Because unfortunately, once you cross that line and become a lawbreaker of God's law, it's as if behind you, that line turns into a wall. There's just no getting back, but for Jesus. Because what Jesus did is he reached over that wall actually entered into our world, reached out his hand and drew us up into his presence. He did this through coming in the person of Jesus Christ, living a perfect life, going to the cross, suffering a death he did not deserve in order that he might extend to us a life of forgiveness and purpose that we could not earn. So I'm going to challenge you if there's never been a time where you've said yes to Jesus and you recognize I need forgiveness. I, I have guilt from my past and I need to have that taken care of. And I haven't known how. I'm not sure. Jesus is the answer to that question. And if you say yes to Jesus, if you commit your life to Jesus, then what he did on the cross will count for you. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, and that's not just talking about a physical death, it's talking about a spiritual death, the essence of which is separation from God, both now and for eternity. But that was not his intention, and it's not his desire for his people. He wants to restore you to the family of God. He wants you to make you a citizen in the kingdom of God. And when you say yes to Him, you're saying yes to His forgiveness. Yes, I want what Jesus did on the cross to count for me. And yes to His Lordship, to His leadership in your life. To say from this point on, I'm going to follow your lead. I want my heart, my words, my life to be in sync with you. So I would encourage you to say yes to Jesus. Our chat hosts are going to bring up this phrase, I commit my life to Jesus. And there's a button that says raise hand that will just be your way of indicating and saying, yes, I'm saying yes to Jesus. I want his death to count for me. I want him to write a new ending to the story of my life. And if that's you, we would love to be able to know that, celebrate it, and resource you. You can also, at any time you're listening or watching this message, text the word YES to our church number, 603-225-2550, and we'll be able to celebrate with you and resource you as well. And that's what we would love to do. Let me pray for you, And let me pray for us as a church family as the people of god that we would have willing hearts and that we would be responsive to the conviction that god brings so that we can have the life of integrity that we desire would you pray with me heavenly father i thank you for your goodness and kindness. I thank you, Lord, that we can pray a difficult, dangerous, scary prayer like convict me because we know that and we have confidence that you love us. We know this because you sent your son to die on the cross for us. And we never have to doubt if you're for us, if you love us. We have only to look to the cross and see Jesus' sacrifice there to know for sure that you are for us, and so I pray, Lord, that for those who are making this decision for the first time, that that uh, we we're just celebrating that we're just so thankful. Give them the courage and faith to understand that it's not about them, but it's about what you did on the cross. All you have to do is say yes. And I pray, Lord, that many people, that you would grant faith to many people as they are listening to this message to say yes to you for the first time so that they might be forgiven, so that they might be included in your family. I pray, Lord, for your people, that you would give everyone who is listening the courage to pray this prayer, convict me. I want to know where I'm off track. I want to know where my life is not in line with your heart. And give us the humility to listen, the humility to be able to recognize what you're saying to us when we pray this prayer. And then give us the power, the courage, the strength to respond accordingly, to bring our lives, our walk in line with your talk and what you have in mind for us. Lord, we love you. We thank you for what you are doing. We thank you for giving us courage and loving us. And we pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ, your son. Amen.